Welcome to the Lojo Show. It's all right. I'll get better at it. Should I just say it? There is no monopoly on good ideas when it comes to cybersecurity. Welcome to the Lojo Show. I'm your host, Lovature Jones. I'm the founder and managing partner at BlackRock Engineering and Technology. I have over 20 years of cybersecurity experience, and I am honored to bring some of that experience to you. I just want to thank Keith Walsh from Armis for coming on again to talk more about the OT journey. Today, we are going to talk about Zero Trust. Zero Trust is a strategic approach to uh, applying security within organizations or across really any IT environment or IT environment or business. This strategic approach to cybersecurity will secure an organization by really eliminating what we call implicit trust. Okay, Implicit trust means that right off the bat, yeah, you would come into an organization and you'd be trusted. You'd just be given a password and a username and that's it. You're trusted. What Zero Trust does is it chops that into different trust areas. So you may be able to log in, but access has to be well-defined and specifically defined to you in order to gain access to certain uh, resources that an organization may have. All right, and we're back here with Keith Walsh from Armis here on the Lojo Show. Uh, today, we're going to discuss a little bit about uh, zero trust. You know, zero trust is getting a lot of attention just across industry. Uh, this is both in commercial, um, DOD, and government space as well. And it's not something that's new. It, it is a it is it is a concept and design uh, approach that's uh, been around for quite some time. Only it's been. Uh, fairly complicated to actually implement some of the principles uh, of zero trust. And one of the things that we're going to get to go over with Keith Walsh today is uh, some of the approaches there. How can businesses and everyday users implement zero trust in their environment, as well as zero trust, the future of security, and uh, kind of discuss some of the ins and outs of that discussion there. So just for our users and stuff here, you know, when we talk about zero trust, Keith, um, you know, one of the things or one component of that was network segmentation. Another component of that was trust zones. And then, you know, the other portion was infrastructure management. So if you would, if there's a couple of things or a couple of areas that you can touch on within, you know, within zero trust and in particular kind of dropping it in some of those buckets there, those three buckets there, um, please go ahead. Give me a kind of an idea of what that really means now. Yeah, thanks, Loverture, and great to be back with you this week. Uh, so you're absolutely right when you mentioned that, you know, zero trust isn't new. Zero trust has actually been around since uh, since 2009. Uh, you know, it was a concept founded by a, a Forrester gentleman, John Kindervag, and it was under the context and pretext of, you know, never trust and always verify which, you know, what that really means is that, you know, the devices and all their actions should really never be trusted, uh, especially by default. Uh, and if they're connected to corporate networks, even if they've been previously verified, we need to continually verify the actual activities that those devices are attempting to engage in. So, you know, conceptually, zero trust is this, it's, it's a really big and nebulous framework that has been around, uh, 12, 13, 14 years or so. And to your point about zero trust and, and it, it getting some additional, um, you know, sort of momentum as of recently, a couple of years ago, NIST even put out uh, a research paper 
around uh, describing zero trust as a set of uh, a set of concepts and ideas. So how do you know? But but how do you operationalize concepts and ideas? And then just uh, last month, a couple of weeks ago, uh, the office of the president put out a directive around moving moving the U.S. government towards um, zero trust cybersecurity principles. In so much as even you know, you know, we talk about trends and we talk about momentum. Um, you know, and as we enter into 2022, the office of the president is now looking to leverage uh, the security benefits of cloud-based infrastructures while mitigating those associated risks. So, you know, I guess the answer to your question, you know, what is zero trust? It's it's never trust. It's always verify, and it really starts with you know defining the protect surface. Doesn't have to be the entire organization because. That's like boiling the ocean. I mean, how do you, how would you layer in a zero trust architecture across a Fortune 50 organization? <laughs> That's a big ask, right? So, first step is all about you know defining the protect surface, you know, and then mapping those transactions to understand what these devices are and what are they connecting to, what boundaries are they crossing, you know, and then ultimately identifying the protect surface after you understand what those devices are and. Um, the communications, the links, um, and the activities that they're engaging in. Yeah, uh, I think one of the things that uh, that used to be very prevalent when we would talk about zero trust, and both in industry as well as you know in DoD, is that you know legacy devices and legacy components and stuff that are out there can't support really that zero trust architecture and the overhead that comes along with that, as well as the control and monitoring that comes along with that. So I know some of our listeners definitely want to know, hey, with our disparate networks in some cases and then interlinked networks and integrated networks and stuff there, how do you, where do you start? How do you, how do you start to really kind of uh, implement zero trust when you have some of those challenges there? Yeah, you know, it, and it always starts with one common use case, which is, well, I, I need to identify my assets. I need a full catalog in real time. We're not talking about simply walking with a, a notepad and pen up and down a manufacturing line, um, you know, and, and, and doing that walkthrough once a year. It's actually the real time and continuous cataloging of devices as they come and go from our network. And, and that, Loverture, in and of itself, is the very first use case that needs to be solved to even undergo the conversation around, okay, you know, how do I identify my protect surface? And then how do I actually take action on it by monitoring those connections? So I would suggest, you know, step one is, is, is a full asset inventory of all wired and wireless devices as they communicate. So you can start down that OT, uh, that, that zero trust uh, journey in your OT environments. Yeah. I think level setting, being able to level set that with, uh, uh, with customers or even with your organization of, look, there is really not an easy button to do this. There's not an easy button that you hit and this is magically done. There's, you know, significant, you know, investment in past and legacy investment in infrastructure, um, even on how you actually implement your workflow and your processes and operations as an organization. And when you talk to zero trust, I mean, would you agree that uh, it, it's going to impact both your processes, uh, how you get things done uh, in some cases, and even on how the behavior is of individuals and devices are going to be on that network that you have to make sure that's planned for. Is that 
Is that one of the things that you find that kind of people struggle with initially of, yeah, we got some legwork to do. It's going to take some time to get it done, but the more you do now and get it done and then it's accurate as possible and you're getting the inventory that you need, the better it's going to be in the future. You know? Yeah. You, you know, again, this, this zero trust concept is this huge nebulous, um, you know, living, breathing organism that really is, it, it's, it's a huge collection of, of concepts and again, ideas that includes everything from, you know, potentially, you know, certificates and, and uh, you know, and, and, you know, public key and private key infrastructures and rotating, um, you know, artifacts in and out of these devices to ensure they're authentic. Um, it's everything from, you know, dual factor authentication. It's everything from, you know, and then you go up the stack into, into what do these devices talk to? What boundaries do they cross? How do I implement zero trust into my NAC, into my firewalls, right? So it's, it's really a, this multifaceted effort that can seem quite ominous if you just sort of step back and look at what truly a successful zero trust engagement looks like. And I personally think, Lovature, that that has, you know, precluded some folks from even, you know, dipping their toe in that water, but it's important to start somewhere. And you can take those little bitty steps, those baby steps to get started, um, you know, and oftentimes our clients take the first step of the device discovery, right? Because without that, you then don't have that catalog uh, and especially, you know, as we talk about the connections that those devices make, and you talk about the boundaries and the segmentation, which needs to be there to support zero trust, right? So there's many levers that need to be there to support zero trust. Um, you know, those firewalls, those NACs, and building those boundaries and segments is a big part of zero trust. Um, you know, being able to map those connections as those devices are being made, you know, that's that's where we're we're defining. The protect surface so that we can then go ahead and you know identify exactly the zero trust that you want to enable within that protect surface yeah one of the difficulties <clears throat> you know one of the difficulties that uh that uh you know organizations run across too on this is you know that definition of zero trust and some of the foundations and stuff that's uh that's uh, that's established for it. <clears throat> you know, we've heard, you know, many companies over the, you know, over the past couple of years say, hey, we've got your zero trust, you know, zero trust implementation, right? Or we have zero trust integration and stuff from that. And uh, we can see that there's a lot of confusion and stuff, both as far as when we speak to, you know, CIOs and IT staff and stuff about that. And what does that really mean at that point? We mentioned several technologies here, firewalls uh, being one of them and the other one being, you know, network admission control or network access control, you know, from there where you have something that's active, that's enforcing boundaries and trust boundaries there. But, you know, one of the key components, too, to this as well is things like your, you know, your, your two-factor authentication, you know, that component. And then also the things that the devices have, as well as even in the people and stuff, too, when you talk about zero trust there. Um, you know, shining a little bit of light as far as into some clarity into that area. You know, one of the things that I heard someone once say, you know, for, for me that really helped that, organization, helped that organization was, look, you need to establish secure trust boundaries, Right. And then it defined boundaries as, 
you know, your network, your device, right? Uh, your overall environment from there. And then also the people, as far as establishing those trust boundaries in that regard, is that something that you find that even in the OT side, that that's a struggle to kind of um, get a handle on? And how do you guys normally approach that from your end? Yeah, it, it certainly is. And what you're really, you know, building a foray to into is really the second step of this zero trust framework, which is, is, is mapping the transactions in and out of the defined protect surface. So, you know, if that defined protect surface is maybe it's a PLC network, um, you know, in our manufacturing facility, maybe it's a set of control valves within a, you know, a midstream pipeline. Maybe it's, a, it's an entire compression uh, compressor station. Uh, within a midstream, you know, after we identify what that protect surface is, we now need to map those transactions. You know, the Google Maps of today is all about context because context matters. Um, and that goes into the, the answer to your question about how do I, you know, how do I bring all of these different facets of what it means to, to embark in zero trust with the authentication of users, uh, the authentication of machines, uh, the connections that they make, the protocols that they use, the boundaries that they cross. Um, you know, in the Google Maps analogy, you know, if we want to get from my house to your house, we're going to see everything about the traffic. We're going to see everything about the endpoints, the elevation of those endpoints. We're going to see everything about um, what I'm going to cross along the way. You know, whether it's gas stations and grocery stores and cleaners, right? We're going to have full context of speed limits and, and, and traffic movement simply to get from my house to your house. Well, that's what Armis brings to the table when we talk about this second step of zero trust, which is I need to map these transactions, but inclusive of those transactions, it's not simply just a SCADA server talking to uh, you know, uh, a, a distributed device, a, a PLC of sorts. It's all the context of that information. Is that an authenticated user? Is that a valid user? Is that a valid IP? Is that a valid machine? Um, is that machine using valid software that's been authenticated and it's been loaded? Is it unauthorized software? Tell me about that connection. Is it crossing a boundary? Um, what boundaries is it crossing to get to that end OT or ICS device it's attempting to get to? Um, is the device that it's attempting to get to um, and the commands, the C and C commands, the command and control commands that it's sending into that device, are those authorized commands? Um, you know, because context matters. So, you know, we draw a parallel to what Armis brings in, you know, in, in the world of understanding the framework of what zero trust needs to deliver, the context of what those connections are and who's making them, the boundaries that they're crossing, and really the, the, the most, uh, you know, the most interesting parallel that there there is is the difference between those paper maps from 20 years ago to where Google Maps is today because it's the context that matters. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think one of the things that you're you know referring to those uh, those maps of uh, yesteryear and stuff on that. You know, one of the things that uh, used to be <laughs> that used to be very frustrating is if you uh, went the wrong way, right? So you miss you miss that turn, right? There's no rerouting, right? The rerouting and stuff was not there, right? The context as far as on why, okay, you've made this turn, now what? Um, that wasn't there anymore. <laughs> that, wasn't, that wasn't there back then. Um, being able to have that full context of, uh, 
you know, let's say you, you know, you've got an entity, that entity could be a person, that entity could be um, a, a thing in that case, that entity could be what it's sharing as well within that. So zero trust, and when you apply it and you apply it to different levels and components of that, it begins to give you that, um, you know, it begins to give you that uh, uh, one, the context that you need uh, to understand whether you are in danger or are uh, in the uh, in the right and consistent, you know, running, um, you know, form in that case or operations uh, versus one in which you're operating more at risk. And that is because of the knowledge that you have, you know, regarding the assets that you have, the reason why those assets are there and what's actually predictable functionality for those assets, including the, the, the data and who's actually in, uh, who's actually integrating with that data or working with that data. Yeah. And, you know, you bring up a really interesting point, which is, you know, in, in the yesteryears, if you took a wrong turn and you didn't look at your map, you had no idea and you're going down a wrong path for, for you know, whoever knows how long. Um, in today's world, right, there's this, this huge need. A lot of our critical infrastructure customers come to, to Armis and they say, you know, I, I need you to help with auditing, right? And so, you know, in and, ab in and above simply, you know, let's catalog and discover all my devices. Now let's map all the transactions. Let's build policies, you know, to, to protect those transactions. What you're talking about, Loverture, is now the, the real-time auditing. Right. So the yesteryear with the with the paper maps, there was no auditing. Today with Google Maps, you know, that voice will tell you you've taken a wrong turn and it will then it will audit for you your trip from A to B, from my house to your house. It will audit that in real time as I'm traversing through that connection. And it will it will in real time inform me of traffic snarls. It will inform me of road closures. It will inform me of my ETA. So all along the route, I'm continually getting audited. Um, and that's what one of the, the, the key components of zero trust is, which is the, the continual auditing of those connections that are being made um, you know, to ensure that it's abiding by the framework that you put in place when you started down this, this zero trust journey. Yeah. yeah um... You know, I think one of the, uh, uh, you know, key concepts is, is that, um, uh, like, for instance, I'll tell you, I, I, I'm spoiled, right? I'm spoiled in, 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 in driving because now if you've got some of these late model cars, you have things like what they call adaptive driving mode, right? Um, the cool part about the adaptive driving mode is that it's taking in all this information, right? The car or the vehicle is taking in all this information. Uh, it's going, hey, it's, uh, you know, it's 30 degrees outside, uh, could be ice on the road, you know, it's there. I'm going to adjust your power and power distribution so that it does a little bit better on the snow <laughs> or mm -hmm. freezing road, right? Uh, it's telling me then too, hey, you've got uh, gale force winds that's about 15 miles down the road where you normally would travel. Uh, possibility is this. And here it is. This vehicles now have my profile. I get into the car. And my name pops up on this screen. Associated with my name now is uh, one, which device do I have, which fob? Um, two, it has my top five places that I go when I jump into the vehicle. Three, it also is now checking the real time state of those areas, weather, wind, mm -hmm. warnings, right? That's associated with that. Um, and then in addition to that, 
it's also going ahead and doing its own self-assessment of here's where I am as a vehicle for you. And when we look at this and, and look at that just kind of capability that's out there to one, identify me to uh, it authorizes me to drive the car as well, because I've already set that up and that security is there. And then three, it has all of that information in context about what it is that I'm doing. Then all of a sudden it pops up the map on the screen and I'm gone. Right. And I'm going to my location. I understand what are the dangers and stuff around there. I understand the context of the things that uh, uh, could be dangerous. And then I have some automation that's in place now too, that's adjusting for my own safety, right? And so when we look at that as being the possibility of how you operate a, you know, OT network or enterprise class network uh, that's there, that's how we would like to have our lives as practitioners within this industry, as being able to have that ability, understanding what's there, what's available, who's there, uh, what's their what's their risk, what's the risk of them doing something wrong, what's the risk of something going wrong or something being done wrong to them uh, in that, and basically being able to make the right decisions and correct decisions faster, more accurately, and in some cases, preventatively. Yeah. And, and so what you're really talking about, obviously, right, is the context because uh, the context matters. But really to extract the value of that context, you have to understand the policies that you want to invoke. Right. So what is authentic? What is authorized? Um, you know, what activities do I allow to cross certain boundaries and what activities don't I allow to cross certain boundaries? Um, and then, you know, that really that talks about uh, you know building out the policies to support the protection of your protect surface and you know those those integrations that we make into existing infrastructures that support those policies whether they be integrations into firewalls and NACs integrations into CMDBs integrations into um, you know, wireless land controllers to do remediation, right? So when, when you hopped into your car, there was a point in time where you probably had to set up some policies, right? You had to give it your name. Um, you had to, uh, you know, maybe identify your phone and link your phone, your Bluetooth into your car. Absolutely. I geeked out for like an entire three or four days, right? right? Inside right? the car, setting up what my thresholds are, Right. You know, yeah. I, I even went in and, and tweaked and customized like the, uh, you know, the sport mode, you know, to the way that I want it, the way I wanted to shift the timing and stuff on it. You know, right. all those things, you know, you, you, you go in and you customize that. And in that sense, yeah, you're setting that policy, right? You're setting the policy of what you're, what you're wanting. You're also setting, hey, do I really want to hear these alerts or not hear these alerts? I've even ranked them, right? Where you've ranked it, you've ranked them, you gave them a rating based on your experience as far as from, from a driving standpoint, and you've set that. And that's, uh, you know, that, that's one of the unique things. And I love where you're going as far as with like the authentication and authorization. You know, there are places where, you know what? Yeah, I authenticated. I had the right stuff to actually get in, but am I actually authorized to do what I'm, what I'm going to be doing, you know, within that, yeah. right? That's right. Yeah, I mean, uh, Kipling put together this, this model of, uh, of, you know, the, the who, the what, the when, the where, the why, and the how of it all. Uh, and I don't know if you remember, but I mean, when I was 
you know, when I was thinking about, you know, conceptually what this means, it brought me back to, uh, I don't know if you remember this from the late 70s, early 80s, or on reruns, the Welcome Back, Cotter. Remember uh, Vinny Barbarino? Uh, you know, he'd walk into his classroom with uh, Mr. Cotter, who was the teacher, and uh, Cotter would ask Vinny Barbarino, who was John Travolta, a question. And, you know, if he didn't know the answers, he'd lay in who, what? When, where, why, how, just to distract from the conversation. But that Kipling model is really what you had to do when you first got in your car. You had to tell it who you were, um, you know, and, and all those different attributes, where you wanted to go, why and how, and all those policy building steps, right, to get the car to your liking. Because what you were trying to do, which is what our OT customers want to do, Right. Because there's 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 you know, there's little assets floating around. I mean, there's not a glut of of, um, you know, OT cybersecurity professionals that are uh, are just floating around in the ether. These folks are hard to find. So the automation of of building, you know, the automation of acting upon what we build is is incredibly important, because imagine if you had to get into your car every time and tell it. All of those settings, every time you got in, you don't want to do that, right? You want it automated. You want it to remember. You want it to act upon what you've told it. Same with, with protecting our OT infrastructures, right? We want to build policies that are automated that, um, that have the best interests of the protect surface in mind so that we don't have to triage every time you know ransomware hits a SCADA server and then it takes down a PLC and we now have to triage it and go through that entire process over and over and over. Wouldn't it be nice if we had a policy that blocked that outbound email from that SCADA server from happening in the first place, right? I got a user on that SCADA server who's hitting Gmail across several boundaries, getting into the internet and clicking on a link in an email that um, you know brings, brings malware or worse ransomware into the environment. Wouldn't it be nice just to have a policy that blocked that to begin with that was triggered by that action of that Gmail user going out and trying to check his email. That way we don't have to spin cycles um, from resources that we don't have to triage something that shouldn't happen to begin with. That those things is, is important. And, and, you know, I think it also goes back to what we, you know, usually like to refer to as well, as far as like risk management, uh, you know, in, in addition to that, you know, the setting up and, and how we, you know, determine where or what we think is probably the best way to do it. It comes from that risk, that risk view, right? And I think when we look at zero trust um, and how they can be, you know, how it can be really tuned to the micro level, you know, when we take into consideration things like micro segmentation, right? And being mm-hmm. able to put that addition and that addition into you know both the physical as well as into our more of our virtual uh, world and stuff too, from a virtual networking standpoint as well as within you know um, some of our traditional network for you know lateral and north and south mute movement um, you know between our trust zones or trust boundaries. These are some of the things that you know over time we've done. We've done it with, you know, with putting in physical firewalls and stuff to be able to measure that we've done as well, you know, in being able to really put in attributes and ports, protocols, services, or different services, and really trying to stop one service from doing another, let's say from like, a, um, you know, peer to peer communications uh, on a network. But really, when we talk about trying to put this all together, that was a very disparate way of approaching that. And so as we look to move into the zero trust world, understand that 
there is some legwork that has to be done. It's not necessarily an easy transition, but once you get the legwork done and you now can set policy based on known devices, attributes, movement, operations, workflow, right? Connections and interdependencies there, right? The next step in that case is beginning to look at how do you start to automate those capabilities and how do you automate them in a way that fits your risk profile as an organization? And that's based on things like your risk assessments or risk management program that's in a, that's, that's been put mm-hmm. in addition to that. You know, and then so with that said, though, you know, as we move down this road here of zero trust, and you guys are going to be a very big part of this. And you, you maybe you already talked about it. There's organizations that may come to you from an audit reason standpoint, but then also realize that, hey, we can make our lives a bit easier by really beginning to accept and really beginning to implement, you know, this uh, zero trust uh, capability and really kind of push really that as kind of the future of security for these organizations, because otherwise it's going to be hard to keep up large global organizations, even smaller ones, it's going to be hard to keep up with both the demand, the risk and threat of ransomware uh, within organizations. It's not just ransomware, it's just the risk and threat of cybersecurity uh, in general. And so with that, you know, how do organizations move ahead from a future of security standpoint? Is this the future of security? You think this is going to sustain or how long do you think, you know, zero trust will be it? Or do you see also a transitioning coming in the next five years too? Yeah, I mean, I, I certainly see uh, the zero trust framework evolving over time. I think there's a there's a very clear reason why zero trust, after 13 years or so, is gaining momentum again, and that's because the the solutions of the past obviously aren't effective. Uh, you know, when we look at all the breaches and the ransomwares, we look at pipelines being turned down. We look at meatpacking facilities, we look at uh, bottling facilities, all coming under attack and having to turn down their operations. It's clear that the solutions of the past um, as built as silos and then implemented as silos is not working to support each other. And there's ways around that, there's gaps. And uh, our adversaries are finding those gaps, it's clear. I mean, that's why you know, again, just a couple of weeks ago, the, you know, the office of the president put out this directive around zero trust, uh, uh, zero trust framework around the, you know, the U.S. government. It's because we have to take this approach that we must never trust any device or anyone, and we must continually verify the device, the person, and the activities that those devices are in, and those people are engaging in. So. Do I think moving forward, we're going to be having more and more conversations about zero trust? Absolutely. Will the framework evolve? Um, it, it has to evolve. And it, I think it has to evolve into something that is more digestible, right? Right now, again, it's this nebulous concept, um, but how do we operationalize zero trust? And, you know, I, I, especially in Brownfield, you know, when you look at Brownfield deployments, a lot of our critical infrastructure is, is decades and decades old. We don't have the luxury of building out new plants and new facilities and new pipelines and new substations and, and uh, distribution networks in our, electrical, um, in, in our electrical grid. We don't have the luxury of building greenfield 
where we can deploy zero trust as a brand new shiny object across that new deployment. We have all the, you know, obviously all the brownfield deployments that are there. So how do you address that, right? How do you double back? Uh, and, and I sort of liken it to, you know, if I'm, if I'm a contractor, I'd rather build a house and then call up my HVAC vendor and say, hey, come install a killer HVAC that um, is secure, as opposed to going in and doing a remodel where I've got to go look at, oh, look at all these, the duct work, right? You know, look, look at all the work that needs to be done to replace that HVAC system in this brownfield house. You'd much rather build greenfield, but you don't have the choice. And we don't have the choice. We've got brownfield, every, you know, 99% of all deployments. Uh, obviously, our ground uh, brownfield with, uh, you know, a very small percentage being, being new builds. So we have to address what is already in our purview. And, you know, to start, we see the first step that, uh, you know, we're hoping gets people off the starting block is... Uh, is you need to take uh, an asset inventory of everything that you've got and understand all of its communications, all of its connections, all of your users, uh, the devices, the source, the destinations, um, so that you can have a framework for understanding what your protect surface is so that you can then move forward to uh, actually protect it. I live in Florida, and you know one of the one of the things that is absolutely hated and most dreaded in Florida is that if you live in a house that's you know fairly old, built in the eighties and seventies, right, um, your pipes and stuff are going actually through the slab. So your plumbing is through the the cement slab that's uh, under the house, or that that really there's no access to it, right. And one of the other keys to this is that if somebody fix a pipe, fixes a pipe in your house. Um, there's no warranty on their work because they can't guarantee that there's another, not another leak somewhere, somewhere else or another issue with that. So how we resolve it is that usually older homes, we run, uh, we run now a different type of plastic slash rubberish cable or uh, uh, piping through the, uh, through the walls and then up through the attics in the homes uh, in order to repipe it. We don't repipe under the house. We just build a whole another piping system through the house, right? And it works. It reroutes it. It takes care of the issues and stuff. It helps you work around uh, sure. some of the legacy and let's say technically brownfield areas there, right? Uh, while you're still using some of that, you're still able to modernize on top of that, right? And that's one of the keys as far as thinking through the industry of, how do you look at, okay, here's the basic operations that you need to achieve, but here's also the base security efforts or base security goals that we have as an organization or imperatives, I guess, is really mm -hmm. how security comes, yeah. right? And that's what you have to do is then look at how do you build those on top of that? We know there's been major investment over 50 years and stuff in some of these things. So you do have to figure out how to work around those. And again, it's not an easy button for it, but it is time where organizations have to start thinking about that because you got to build it in. Ransomware is evolving. The, the, the distribution method for ransomware is getting more complex and is able to take uh, advantage of significant opportunities because basically when you look at things like utilities or um, you know, uh, transmission and distribution or even power generation and stuff too at this point, um, demand continues to grow for those, for those areas. Demand keeps growing for products and stuff. 
So yeah, while you're trying to still provide the basic services and products and stuff that's there through your manufacturing or even through your power distribution, yeah, you're going to have to begin to bolt on additional capabilities and technology in order to begin to incrementally modernize you know, on that. But while you're yeah. doing that, this is where you can begin to implement aspects of zero trust. You're not going to get it all in at one time, but you're going to have to build it incrementally because ransomware distribution and its ability to um, you know, get into different places now uh, is, you know, it's astronomical. We've been discussing that over other, uh, podcasts and stuff too here. Uh, we did a whole, uh, what, uh, whole series on this back in December and it is, it's very much so, um, you know, more complex environment, but it's easier now for adversaries to be able to infiltrate your organization, uh, OT and stuff too, through those means. And it usually comes through not just your old equipment, but also through new software and stuff that you're adding that you can't really do any detection and maintenance or management of because you don't have that capability also within that OT environment. Yeah. And, and you know, as you, as you look at, you know, the, the analogy that you gave with regards to uh, the Florida home on the slab and rerouting, whether it be electric, whether it be, uh, you know, natural gas, whether it be water, is you have to be uber concerned, especially, you know, when you talk about our utilities, our pipelines, our critical manufacturing, you've got to be uber concerned that there's no disruption of existing services, right? So you've got all these brownfield deployments and you want to overlay a technology like zero trust. How do you ensure that there is zero disruption of service, right? You ha- how, can, how can, you know, how can you be assured that what this zero trust vendor is offering up is completely passive, that there is zero downtime, um, you know, and, and that is a very interesting concept that we have with our, we have those conversations with our customers all the time. Um, and one of the very first questions they ask is obviously, you know, we're running a brownfield environment, assure me that anything you do on my network is is uh, not going to lead to any disruption of service because that disruption could be the disruption of the delivery of electricity, of water, um, of natural gas services. It could be a disruption of um, you know critical manufacturing facilities. It could be the disruption of a number of any one of the sixteen CISA named critical verticals. Um, you know, so the ability to engage in these types of conversations, then hopefully ultimately solutions, um, oftentimes revolves around our, at least at Armis's ability to do this completely passively, right? To do this without inserting into a production environment, without ever having to probe these devices, um, you know, and the ability to assure, ensure our customers that this is actually happening completely passive and there is no need uh, to insert into these critical processes at all is a huge driver because you know when you insert into brownfield environments um, you know their job is to keep the lights on and to keep the conveyors moving uh, they don't want interruptions in their services yeah and and to that point that you know those are you know these are situations that are, are, are very serious. Like we, we taught, we, we, you know, we could talk very easily about it right here. You know, it, there's some uh, brownfield environments that are 
very sensitive to things like ICMP, you know, pings and stuff from that, in which case you're, you know, sending a certain signal to get an acknowledgement from a, you know, from a PLC and all of a sudden you drop that PLC or worse yet, a, a refrigerator, right? A refrigerator that has, uh, you know, that has, you know, medicines and stuff too, if you're a pharmaceutical manufacturer or so, and they have that that's sitting on a network in that case. And in some cases that can take down that particular device or it can take down that particular refrigerator, which causes quality issues or catastrophic issues with, uh, you know, a large set of medicines or whichever. Um, so these are things that I've seen uh, in the past when you're introducing new technology, but people want assurances now when they're getting ready to move into the direction of zero trust, that that's not going to happen. And so I think that the, you know, that the, that the industry in particular uh, organizations like RMS and the solutions and stuff from that have taken that into better account now. So as you move through those conversations and, you know, those are absolutely important questions to ask. But we've seen, you know, that industry has began to solve uh, those issues, right? We, we we're definitely much more farther ahead on that, in which there is a higher assurance now that uh, you're not going to take down a critical process, right, or part of a critical infrastructure and stuff with that as you introduce these. Yes, yeah, certainly, and and you know, the government has even inserted itself into these processes, like right, you know, with our, you know, safety. Uh, you know, and, and different metrics that our electric utilities have to abide by uh, with regards to outages and outage restoration and restoral times uh, of power outages. Uh, there's fines, right? There's, uh, there's, mon- there's money on the line. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if our, in this example, our utilities don't match the bar that have been set by either maybe a PUC a regulatory commission, a utilities commission, or the federal government. Um, so yeah, when we're talking about uh, uptime and then restoral of uptime, um, that's how these folks are measured, right? They're they're measured in um, you know continuity of services, um, and uh, you know when when a vendor comes along and is suggesting an insertion of a technology that that potentially gets some ears perked up, whether it's by NERC SIP folks, whether it's by Sadie or Kafi folks um, that are measuring, uh, you know, resiliency across their distribution networks. Um, you know, that's something that has to be taken into consideration. Yeah. Because there's money on the line. And unfortunately, that's seemingly what most everything comes down to these days. Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, you know, we, we talk about that from a you know from a power utility standpoint, and then if you take this over to the you know manufacturing industry or in manufacturing and stuff too, you know, the same thing. You know, if you've got a high price product or a high price piece of material that you need to have cut, molded, and uh, at, you know, and and, and machine the stuff from there, if you get that wrong, guess what? You're going to eat some of that cost when it comes to those materials. Right? That's right. And and you know who they're going to look at. They're going to look at the the plant floor manager, the operations manager, and say what happened. And then the plant floor manager, the operations manager, you know, even you know, hopefully they have an answer. But uh, you know, what you don't want happening is everybody then looking around back and forth to everybody around them and not having an answer as to why that manufacturing process stopped. Did it stop because there's a mechanical, um, you know, a, a, a um, a mechanical, you know, breakage in some of the equipment on that line, 
Did it happen because there was a command and control um, uh, activity against a piece of that critical infrastructure? Why did that happen? Um, you know, so obviously having the controls in place to identify at least on the cyber side um, and on the activity side with regards to those command and control actions taken against those machines, super important to have the answers as to why did that happen? When working with some of our, I mean, you, you guys are working with some of the leading, you know, power utilities, whether it's munis, you know, munis or commercial utilities and stuff from that, as well as with some of the different, um, you know, oversight and commissions and stuff too, they're associated with those. Um, you know, as you work with that, and I want you to kind of, you know, you don't have to name any names or anything like that, but what are some of the drawbacks that you see are really holding organizations back right now? and really understanding on how to one, implement zero trust, uh, but two, um, you know, being able to start the process of this. So what are some of the, the, the downfalls you've seen, you know, of late when you kind of look at this, uh, you know, this arena right now? You know, I, I think a lot of folks, a lot of organizations um, have really stalled their efforts to move their security posture forward. I think, uh, you know, many folks are looking, you know, in the utility space at NERC SIP as the end all and be all of what they need to abide by, because as long as they abide by it, they're not going to get fined. Um, but I think that uh, that leaves a lot on the table because I do not believe that um, those organizations and, you know, their, their operations departments, their you know, their generation, their transmission, their distribution networks in the utility space, the, um, you know, the upstream, the midstream, the downstream pipeline um, providers, I don't believe that they have all in lockstep moved together to evolve the risk posture of their assets. Because let's remember, a lot of these assets were deployed decades ago. You know, they show up, they're not even running encryption, there might not be weak authentication against these devices. Uh, there's certainly no PKI or certificate infrastructure against these devices. And that was okay because the risks weren't necessarily coming from cyber when they were installed. They were coming from human or on-prem or local risks of somebody plugging in or somebody, uh, you know, causing a malfunction locally to a device. So, you know, these devices that have been in these networks for decades were placed when the concern wasn't cyber. Well, guess what? Now it's cyber. And now we've got a weak underbelly of all these devices that are now, they're not boundaried, they're not segmented. Um, most all of them um, are, are, there's no air gap to be seen anywhere. So, but they're still abiding by some of the same frameworks of when they initially deployed these devices. Um, and I don't think that that we have all taken a step forward to address the fact that um, times are changed. These devices, albeit they're critical, they're not being protected as they should because when they were deployed, they were fairly weak in posture with regards to you know, the, their, their resiliency. And, uh, and I think that's coming to roost. I think it's all coming back around. I think that's why you see a great many of these these ransomware attacks against critical infrastructures hitting OT um, because you know it's no surprise that these devices do have a weak underbelly 
And uh, if we haven't invested the time to fortify those borders and boundaries, then um, these devices, unfortunately, and their operations are there for the taking. Yeah, Keith, I think an important part as we get ready to close the show here uh, for, to, for today, and one area too that we'll go, go back into as far as offering solutions, but one of the things I wanna leave the listeners with is this. We have a very large problem when it comes to our critical infrastructure in the US. We have a very large problem when it comes to good security in manufacturing. And here's the reason why. Again, you have old components, old technology, uh, and you have this environment too, in which we've so long depended on, in some cases, very old and outdated policies to make us feel better. We even audit in a lot of cases to very old policies and standards from that end that are not necessarily applicable to actually keeping that environment safe anymore. This world evolves much faster than you can get a policy through either Congress or through a particular uh, controlling body or organization or DHS. Life and technology move much faster than that. It's well ahead, right? So even though you're being audited for different things, or you're talking about NERC SIP, you're talking about even your NIST audits and stuff too that you're doing, or ISO, or in some other cases, some of the other, um, you know, uh, uh, IEEE areas and stuff too that's out there, right? At the end of the day, those move much slower than what technology and capabilities are. And this is where organizations have got to take that next step of going, look, identify the problem, identify what is the innovate, what are innovative fixes for some of the most complex issues that are out there and begin the process of evaluating it. But if you just say that, hey, what we have is enough, just remember enough is not going to be enough. That glass keeps growing, right? You can fill a glass, you know, up all the way to the top. But if you go ahead and add another glass, or if you go ahead and add another gallon to that, you're not filling it up. You know, enough is not enough at that point. So remember, you've got to keep on moving and keep moving and progressing as far as in your security, because our adversaries are each and every day, and they're becoming more and more successful as time goes by. And that's all for this episode of The Lojo Show. Thank you to Keith for coming on with us again. We appreciate him joining and sharing his experience with us. We have really enjoyed this multi-part series with Armas. Our next episode will be our last with Keith for now. We appreciate him coming on and Armas' partnership for this series. If you have enjoyed this series, please let us know on social media. If you follow our social media, you can get some great info on current events, find resources for your education and awareness, and connect with us. If you want to come on the show, you can send us a message on any social media platform or on our website at www.blackengetech.com. Thank you for joining us. But for now, we have to say goodbye. Have a great week. Stay safe and stay secure.